Reality Church is a church striving to be biblical. We pray that this sermon would help you in your personal walk. Be blessed. I don't know about you guys, but I have enjoyed preaching the last few weeks as we talk about one of my favorite subjects, that we are the sons of God if we are in Christ. Um... We talked about inheritance last week, and I want to go even deeper into heirs this week. Um, John Bunyan said something very interesting. The kingdom of heaven is for the heirs. And if children, then heirs. If born again, then heirs. Wherefore, it is said expressly, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. By this one word. Down goes all carnal privilege of being born of flesh and blood and of the will of man. What joy we should take from the fact that we are the heirs of God as beloved children. Because we have no hope outside of a reconciled relationship with our God. I hope that during this sermon we reinforce that powerful point of the text. Now hear the infallible, inspired Word of God, Romans 8, verses 16 and 17. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, that it is infallible and errant, and it is the rule of faith and practice in your church. We ask that you help us to stand upon it, to understand it. God, I ask that you would remove the veil, that we may see a clear revelation of who you are in this text, for we only receive revelation of who you are through your word. So God, reveal yourself to us. Sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So these two verses are packed with importance for the Son of God. Um, There is assurance and there's also challenge in these verses. Um, The two things that we like the best, I think, I I like uh, the verses that I read in Scripture. The Scriptures that give me assurance of who I am, that I am Christ. And the scriptures that challenge me to something are my favorite scriptures. So this set of verses actually has both, which is awesome. And I want to take these verses and dissect them, okay? So in order for us to pull exactly what out, out what we need to see that the Holy Spirit is telling us in this text, I think we need to dissect them a little bit, piece them out a little bit, and see what God is saying in this, that we may be true to the context of what what we're learning about this morning. First, let's, let's reread verse 16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This verse says something so interesting. That the Spirit bears witness with our spirit. That the Spirit bears witness with our spirit. That is something that is a... Relationship as something that, that is a two-way street going on inside of us when we are children of God. That the Spirit is bearing witness with our spirit. 
I want us to grasp a hold of this because I think if we do, it's powerful. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.5. 5. Let me go there. 2 Corinthians 5.5 5 says, He who has prepared for us this very thing is God. So he who has prepared our salvation is God. Who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. A guarantee. And this isn't that uh, used car salesman guarantee. I guarantee this is a great car. And then you get it home and you find the sawdust in the, in, in the oil, right? And, and the manifold's about to break. And, and, and it's got a cracked block and has no spark plugs in it, right? It's not that kind of guarantee. This is a guarantee that we can count on from God through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit is a guarantee of our sonship, of our daughtership in Christ. How? Well, I think in order to see how, we need to look at the two main offices of the Holy Spirit. The two main offices are this. First, He is sanctifier. And second, He is comforter. He is sanctifier and comforter. That's the two main offices that He's working in within us as the Holy Spirit, as the third person of the Trinity. We have dealt in depth with the Spirit working in us, the work of salvation, right? We've, we've really talked a lot about that over the past few weeks, and even months, I would say, trying to dig into that idea of sanctification. And we're absolutely thankful for that. Absolutely thankful for the power of the Holy Spirit working out our sanctification. Because it is, listen to me, the sanctification at work in your life is absolute evidence that you are in Christ, that you are a son or a daughter of God, that you are being sanctified by the Holy Spirit, that you are convicted of your sin, that you are driven to the word, that you are in prayer, that even though your prayers aren't great, you just know that I, ha- I need to pray to God because he's the one who I lean upon. Those sanctifying elements are absolute proof of your conversion. You are justified in Christ. You would not be being sanctified if you were not justified. Okay? So we know that. He wouldn't be at work in somebody who's not a son of God in Christ. He wouldn't be at work in him. Why would he waste his time, right? He's at work in us doing these things, these challenging things to sanctify us because we're his. But let's go into his work as comforter. Because we haven't dug into that quite as deeply. First, let's go over something that is undeniable, okay? I'm not a Christian on feelings. I'm not a a feelings-based Christian anymore. I don't do that. I don't base uh, my Christianity on how I feel about something anymore at all. It's not my thing because I don't believe it's scriptural, right? But there's something that's undeniable. When we repent and trust in Christ and are born again, there is a feeling within us that is like a, unlike any other thing that we will ever feel. I describe it as feeling brand new. When I got up from the altar after repenting and trusting in Christ for the first time when I was 16 years old, I felt brand new. I felt clean, fresh. Different. 
That feeling is undeniable. I believe that that is part of the Spirit bearing witness with my spirit. There's a joy in our hearts that does not compare to any other feeling in your life. Even now, even if you're struggling, even now, even if you're going through the worst things in your life, there's still a joy in your heart in knowing who God is. If you were in Him, right? You know, hey, this may be difficult, but God has done so much to save me already. That joy is the Spirit bearing witness with your spirit. That is the undeniable comfort received from the Holy Spirit. As comforter, He shows forth the love of God towards us. That enables us to love God as we have have discussed last week, you know, that we aren't even able to love God. We are unable to truly love God until we are in Christ and and we are taught by the Holy Spirit how to love. Right? We can't even love God right until the Holy Spirit is at work in us, comforting us. So, almost all of the comfort we receive from the Spirit comes through His work of teaching us the Word of God. Right? That's where we receive that great comfort in knowing what the Word says. The comfort we receive from the Word. We know that the the Holy Spirit, one of His main jobs as comforter is to lead us back to the Word. I want to read to you 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21. Take comfort here. Are you ready? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you, On behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The Holy Spirit in all of his works confirms our place as beloved children. Every part of his work confirms our place. And that's why we as ambassadors draw people and say, look, come to Christ. In him you will find hope, rest, and reconciliation. A brand new relationship, a brand new relationship with God. Completely new. Let's look closer at the next verse. Verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God. And fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. 
Now, there are four main things that I need to pull from this verse. Four main points. Paul is very clear about his phrasing here for a reason. I don't think Paul writes anything willy-nilly. I think he is very particular in what is written. Even when others were writing for him, he was very particular about what was written. Okay? The first thing is this one word here. And I know it appears a lot in the verse, but we need to take this into context. It says, and if children, then heirs. Heirs. Let me tell you something about heirs in the day that this was written, okay? In the day that this was written, let's bring it into that context of historical context. The firstborn had all of the inheritance rights in that day. So if you were the firstborn, you got the inheritance. Listen to me. Let this sink in. Through Christ, we all receive inheritance as if we were the firstborn. Right? That blows up the entire idea of what inheritance is. This is amazing. If we are children, then we are heirs. And the people of this culture were probably looking at this going, what? No, only one person gets the inheritance. No, in Christ, he has made us all firstborn. It reminds me of a story that our Savior actually told in Matthew Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for, the, for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, You go into the vineyard too, and, and whatever is right, I'll give you. And they went. Going out again, about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those first hired first came, they thought they would receive more. That each of them received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last only worked one hour and you've made them equal to us? who had borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to them, to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. There's a lot we can take out of this. 
We can take out the fact that the, the Jews were called first, but the Gentiles are brought into the kingdom as well. And they have an equal inheritance. But let's look at this. There's laborers being taken all day long, even up to the 11th hour. Yet they all receive the same inheritance. We as children of God will receive the same. No matter how long you've been a Christian, we will all receive the same inheritance. And I guarantee you this, when we are given that inheritance on the last day, none of us are going to be complaining. I promise you that. Because it is an inheritance beyond all we could ever imagine or think. It is the greatest inheritance ever given. But no matter how long we've been a child, ours is the same as the brand new baby. Which is actually, if you think about it, so merciful and so beautiful. Now, let's take another phrase out of that same verse. It says, you know, it says, if children and heirs, and then it says, heirs of God. Heirs of God. Now, that's interesting. What does this mean? And I've taken it away that I don't need to take it because I'm looking at it. I know English. I know how I should read this, and I've been reading it the wrong way for many years. And I'm thankful to people like Matthew Henry who wrote a very good commentary and blew my mind. Are you ready? This is what Matthew Henry said. I love this. He says, the Lord himself is the portion of this saint's inheritance. What's our inheritance? God himself. Is that not powerful? Is that not amazing that the thought of what do I inherit? I inherit God himself. I am his. And he is mine. What? Unfathomable. Un unbelievable. Unspeakable. The joy of that. Psalm 16.5 says this. Man, those guys writing Psalms sure knew what they were doing. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. God, you are my chosen portion. Oh, and you are the best portion. That is the greatest inheritance we receive. God himself. He is our God. Now we have hope in our lives. Because he is our inheritance right now. I have hope. And that is a hope that I can share with everyone I encounter. That I am His. He is mine. We are His people. And He is our God. Revelation 21.3 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. What greater inheritance than that? That right now, do you understand this? Right now, the Holy Spirit is dwelling within you. You know, Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. 
everlasting God living within you, doing the work of sanctifying you, comforting you, teaching you. All of the work is being done within you is God himself dwelling in you right now. That's wonderful. That's powerful. Then it says something also very interesting. And fellow heirs with Christ. Or you may have heard it. Joint heirs with Christ. I think we sometimes misunderstand this application. Okay? And we apply it to right now. And some would say that it means that you are to be rich. And completely healthy. And well-liked and popular right now. But that is not the promise. The promise is joint heir with Christ. Hebrews 1-2 says this. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. Whom he appointed heir of all things. Through whom also he created the world. Lots of great stuff in that verse. We need what Christ has said. For now, but also he is the heir of all things. Christ is the heir of all things. And through justification, by faith alone in Christ alone, we have a very sure inheritance based solely upon our union with Christ. Revelation 21 7 says this. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. We are sons through Christ. That is the greatest inheritance that we can look forward to in our lives. Jesus spoke of it really very clearly in Luke 22. Verse 28 through 30, he said, You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. He's speaking to his disciples. And I assigned you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. He's speaking to his disciples of the inheritance of the saints. The inheritance of the sons of God. Revelation 3.21 says this. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat with my father on his throne. Let's listen to the words being used. Because these words bring us to an important point in this discussion. Jesus uses the words trials. He talks about how they've stayed with him through his trials. Then he talks about the word conquer. All of these things point to a struggle, to a fight in our lives. I don't know how many of y'all ever have gone through some tough times in your sanctification. It's a fight, right? It's a struggle. That's not all. Because the next phrase in verse 17 is very interesting, very important as we read what what Christ has said. The next phrase is, provided we suffer 
with Him. Provided we suffer with Him. James 1, verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers. Oh, this is going to be good, right? Because it says, count it all joy, my brothers. He's getting you wound up. You ready for what comes next? When you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Rejoice in trials. Matthew 24, 9 says this. This is Jesus talking to his disciples about what they are fixing to face. He says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. A believer in Christ is never promised an easy life. Never. They are never promised that it will be all sunshine and rainbows. In fact, according to Scripture, we're almost assured that it's going to be the opposite. How do I know this? Historically, the history of the church is full of many afflictions. There have been plagues. There's one right now. I'm talking about Spanish flu, which killed millions. I'm talking about the Black Death, which killed billions. They speculate that it killed almost half of the population of the world. And do you know what lasted through that? The church. The church. So this plague that affects about 0.1% of our population right now. The church will get past it. If the church will stand on their feet. I heard a story about Martin Luther. He was... uh, in church during an outbreak of the bubonic plague. And he said, okay, if I need to, I'll put my mask on, but I will go and I will minister the gospel to the people. Why don't we see that strength now in the church? During plagues, We are still the church. It's seen famines. There's probably a famine right now somewhere in Africa and a church is having to stand through it. The church has seen natural disasters, earthquakes, hurricanes, tornadoes. All these things have come against the church. The church has seen diseases. People in church die of cancer. People in church die of all these various diseases. 
The church knows affliction and persecutions have come to the church as well. We see it in Acts. Acts is the very infancy of the church and we already see it, the persecution of the church. Without delay, (laughs) they didn't wait around until they had established a cool way of doing things and a website and all the things that make a church cool. It started without delay as they were still in the synagogues preaching Jesus Christ as Jews are screaming at them to shut up. And Stephen wouldn't shut up. Stephen showed them throughout all of Scripture that Christ is the Messiah. And what did they do? They stoned him. James, the older, they called him old camel knees because he was constantly on his knees in prayer for those who he was serving in the synagogue, the Jewish synagogue, as a Christian preaching Christ. And finally, he was killed. We see that in Acts. That's just very soon after the church is established. We see persecution already coming to the church. Peter and Paul, all throughout Acts, we see them and their companions beaten, unjustly imprisoned. They're constantly on the run. We see it all throughout Acts. Peter. He ended up being crucified upside down on a cross because he refused to be crucified in the same way that his Savior was. Paul was taken to Rome in chains and was later beheaded. It continued. Christians were thrown to the lions for sport. They were coated by Nero with wax and used as torches. They were attacked by many different societies that they would go into because they wouldn't go into these places and just try and be a part of the culture. No, they would go into where they kept their idols and smash the idols and point them to Christ. And they were killed for it. Then the Roman Catholic Church came along. And continued the persecution of Christians. Jan Hus was killed for preaching reform and return to the Word of God as a guide, as opposed to the papacy. He was killed for it, called a heretic. William Tyndale, one of my favorite reformers, was killed, executed for publishing the Bible in a common language, just so the people would have access to it. He told a man who was a big to-do in the Catholic Church, he said, if I had my way, the plowboy pulling his plow will know more of this word than you do. And you know what? It happened. John Bunyan, one of my favorite writers, Puritan. He was imprisoned for refusing to stop preaching the gospel. You see, in those days, you had to have special papers 
in order to be allowed to preach. You had to be a part of the Church of England at that time. This was, wasn't the Catholic Church. This was the Church of England. You couldn't preach unless you had that paper. And you had to preach what they showed you to preach. Well, he refused to do that. And he kept gathering with people and preaching them the gospel, the true word of God. And they put him in prison. And they would come to him. They would ask him, will you stop preaching the gospel? If you will, we'll let you go. And he would always say, I can never stop preaching the gospel. His wife and his kids were outside struggling to get by. And he knew that. But he said, I will never stop preaching the gospel. And they kept him in prison for 12 years. 12 years. All he had to do was say, okay, I'll stop preaching the gospel. But he refused to do that. And he stayed in prison for 12 years. In our day, Christians are being martyred at an alarming rate. According to Christianity Today, and I want you to burn these numbers into your head, okay? As you, do your, as you pray, I want you to remember these numbers. In our day, according to Christianity Today, 13 Christians are killed every day. Thirteen Christians are killed every day. Twelve churches are attacked every day. Twelve Christians are imprisoned unjustly every day. I want to, let's put that in perspective. Right now, today, 13 Christians will die for their faith. 12 churches will not be able to sit like we are in peace and enjoy a, a wonderful service together with family and love. They will be looking over their back, waiting for the door to be kicked open and men with guns to come in and attack them. And 12 Christians, mostly preachers of the gospel, will be put in chains and taken to prison just for being a Christian. In countries such as North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Eritrea, Yemen, Iran, Nigeria, and India, that's the top ten. Christians are killed and persecuted just for believing the gospel. And they refuse to deny their Savior. That's not counting the underground church in China and all over the world. You may know this, but a major persecution is happening in Canada right now. The government, who has no right to say this, has told the churches that they cannot have more than 15% attendance and have church. Plus, masks must be worn you must stay six feet apart. Let me put that in perspective for you. If, the, if, if we were forced to have 15% attendance here, we'd have four or five people. Can a church operate like that? No. Is the gospel able to be preached as it should be like that? No. But the Canadian government has told the churches in Canada that that's what they must have, 15% attendance. 
They've been locked down for almost a year. You think it was bad here? They have not stopped being locked down. Businesses are closing. I've got friends in England who are experiencing the same, same thing. They're in the streets in England right now saying, open our businesses back up. But they're being locked down. Open our churches back up. But they're being locked down. Well, a pastor, a man, decided to stand up and have service. In a church, I want you to hear this, in a church that has had zero cases, zero cases of COVID. And this week he was arrested. He was tried in secret and not allowed to see his family. He is currently being held for 14 days, which is the protocol for quarantine. And after that, he will have the opportunity probably to be visited as a, a criminal is visited in prison. His wife and his children were not able to say goodbye to him. Luckily, an elder of the church somehow by happenstance, managed to be in the right hallway at the right time and just say, we love you, stand strong. And you know what they're telling him? If you'll stop having services, we'll let you out. And you know what he said? No. We will endure afflictions. We will face persecutions. But the child of God has a very clear hope. John 16.33 lays that hope out for us. Jesus said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. If we suffer with Him, we will live with Him. If we endure tribulation and trial, we will overcome with Him. That's why He said to the one who conquers, I will grant to be seated with me on my throne. So what can we take away from this? I think that we can take hope away from this. I think we should see hope even in times of great trouble because we can exercise our rights as sons and daughters. And let me be clear about this. Our rights do not include commanding God to do things for us like we think he should. That's not how it works. God is sovereign. And if we go through trial, he is with us in that trial. In afflictions, he is with us in afflictions. And if he is merciful enough to deliver us from those afflictions, praise him. Hallelujah. Thank you, God, that you've delivered me. But even if he doesn't, he's still a good God. And we still have a greater hope than any other people in this world. So how do we exercise our rights? First way is assurance. 
I want you to understand something. We are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That guarantee that was talked about, that is a seal upon your life. We are now beloved children. If you were in Christ, you are now beloved children. If you are not in Christ, you are not assured. Our adoption is absolutely sure. Christian, rest in that. You have been adopted. It is certain. You are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The second way that I think that we can exercise our rights is prayerfulness. We as children can cry out to our Father at any time. In times of trouble, we cry out to our Father. In the good times, we cry out to our Father. We must cry out to our Father. Why can we cry out to him? Because we know that he hears us. He hears us. Why not cry out to a God who is listening? Thomas Watson said, prayer delights God's ear. It melts his heart and it opens his hand. God cannot deny a praying soul. Another way that we can exercise our rights is Bible reading and study. You see, we learn more about our Father from His Word than anywhere else. We discussed this very in-depthly uh, this morning during Sunday school. Um, the, the Spirit drives us to the Word, and, and it shows our love for God and our quest for holiness when we seek knowledge of Him and His Word. Sons and daughters should seek to know their Father, right? So why not seek to know Him through His Word? Another way that we can exercise our rights is fellowship with our family. This local church right here is where we find true family. Do not neglect it. This is the group that we should belong to most. So I say plug into your local church. Plug into this church. Dig in. Be a part of what God is doing here in this church. The last way that we can exercise our rights as a son or a daughter is this. Rejoice in God. In all situations and circumstances, God has already given us much more than we've ever deserved. We could never repay Him. He is so merciful to, to save us and adopt us. And he has prepared an inheritance for us through Christ. You see, our father is the best father. We must rejoice in that. All these rights that we have as sons and daughters must drive us to worship. In this service, all things that we do from call to worship... New Testament reading, our time of repentance, our time of assurance, of pardon, our Old Testament readings, our prayers, our, our songs, our preaching, all of it is meant to drive you one place, to worship of God. That's what it's focused on. And as children, we can rejoice in our God. Let me leave you 
with Scripture to help you see the great joy that is in this. Psalm 39.7 says, And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-9. through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. No greater hope than that. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you so much for your word and the power of it, for this great salvation with which you have called all of us unto yourself, the rights that you have given us as sons and daughters, God, we, can, we can't even imagine the glory of it. Father, we lay ourselves before you, just rejoicing in you, honoring you, knowing that without you, nothing we have is worth anything. Father God, I ask that you would help us as sons and daughters, to place our focus clearly on you, knowing that you are the author and the finisher of this faith. We give you honor. Father, I pray for those who may not know you, that may hear this message. Father, I pray that you would prick their hearts, cut them to the heart as it was done in Acts when the gospel was given. Sinner, Run to Christ. He's your only hope. Repent and trust in Him for the salvation of your souls. God, we thank you so much for who you are and what you've shown us in your word today. Let it change us forever. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.